Hello, dear listener. This is Tanner here with Tanner Talks About Stuff That Happened. A reminder that these episodes about Ukraine and Russia are not scripted. They are reporting as quickly as events happen, as often as I can get them. Sometimes I will misspeak. Sometimes I will say things that are untrue, simply because the information that I have at the time is all that I'm being given. In the future, we may look back at things I say here and we'll realize, oh, he was totally wrong about that. But remember, I am doing this because I want people to be as updated as I am, because I'm trying to stay as updated as possible about the events that are happening and trying to report them as unbiased as I possibly can. So with that being said, please give me grace if I misspeak, and please remember that I'm trying to do my absolute best. Without further ado, enjoy this one. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. This is Tanner talking about stuff that happened, and thank you for joining me on this episode. I've been updating as often as I possibly can on the war going on between Ukraine and Russia. Things are both heating up and simmering in some areas of the country, so let's talk about exactly what's going on and what's happening on the further international stage. First of all, I want to address a little bit um, concerning the propaganda coming from both sides of this conflict. Now, as we've we are now over a week into this war, and in the grand scheme of things, that's that's not very long. When you know we could potentially be looking at a years-long guerrilla war, such as what we saw in Vietnam or Afghanistan, uh, both in the United States and the Soviet Union, respectively. And so, a week is not that long, but we're seeing some significant developments going on here. So I want to address the propaganda that's being spewed out by both sides here. Now, it's no secret at this point that the vast majority of people around the world are pro-Ukraine. Um, the vast majority of people in the West are pro-Ukraine. Most people in the United States and in the United Kingdom and in the European Union are very pro-Ukraine. We're seeing that a lot on social media. We see Ukraine as this David facing off with Goliath, and Goliath wants to crush David and make David submit to Goliath, but David's standing up and fighting a lot harder than we, you know, the wider world believes Goliath intended for him to be fighting. And so we believe in the underdog because we see ourselves in the underdog. And so we like to root for the underdog. And also, Russia is invading a sovereign nation who was living peacefully before Russia came in to try to establish their will over the Ukrainian people. So we're, most people are cheering on Ukraine. Now, because of that, Ukraine is taking advantage of a wider propaganda campaign. And what I mean by that is that there are a lot of heroic stories coming from Ukraine, and a lot of those have been somewhat debunked. The first of these that I want to address is the, uh, the story about the troops on Snake Island in the Black Sea who basically said F you to a Russian warship and were subsequently blown off the face of the earth for it. It's come out now that actually those troops are believed to have survived and are now in Russian custody as prisoners of war. And that this original story that was released by the Ukrainian military is somewhat false. While the transcript probably did actually happen and that conversation and that exchange did take place, the Ukrainian soldiers were not killed. They were instead captured by the Russian military. And it's important to know this because Ukraine was obviously trying to create a rhetoric of heroic uh, resistance to a foreign power to the point of death. 
and they may have exaggerated that story just a little bit to create that. The same may be true for the Ukraine, uh, the Reaper of Ukraine, which I talked about several episodes ago, or the Ghost of Kiev, which I talked about several episodes ago. Now, the Ghost of Kiev has not been completely debunked. There have been claims that the footage of the Ghost of Kiev was created through a video game or through a rendering platform or something like that, and there have been clips that were created that way. But there also have there also is evidence that the Ghost of Kiev was an, uh, was a real Ukrainian pilot there's no there's no there's no deciding factor of an of evidence that shows that the ghost of kiev was not a real person that was a fabrication by the ukrainian military so that along with the ukrainian reaper the ukrainian reaper was never named and so we can't confirm that it was a real person now there are reports out of ukraine of such as the couple who got married as russia was invading and then took up arms to fight against the russian invasion that's a true story the old woman who was giving russian soldiers sunflower seeds and telling them to put them in their pockets so when they die in ukraine some flowers will grow that's a true story some of these are true stories but there also have been some propaganda stories coming out of ukraine so we have to take all of that with a grain of salt we have to say okay these are amazing stories coming out of ukraine are they exaggerated are they maybe completely fabricated? While we love to believe in these heroic stories, some of them may not be completely true. And it's, I feel it's important for me to address that and to say some of these stories that I've been telling and was really excited about early on in the conflict may actually not be totally true. And while that's unfortunate, I prefer truth over something that is propaganda, even though it's propaganda for a side that most of us are rooting for. Now, propaganda coming out of the Russian sphere is mainly geared toward Russian citizens. There are not a ton of Russian propaganda coming into the West because most Western countries have blocked Russian propaganda stations, such as the Russian station RT. Uh, it's been blocked by most Western countries. You can still see it on YouTube. You can still see it. Uh, the website is still accessible, but the channels on cable stations have been blocked specifically because it was very, very pro-Russian invasion, and a lot of Western countries have proven themselves to be very anti-Russian invasion and anti-Russian expansionism. So, the Russian propaganda is often that the Russian military is still keeping a peacekeeping, is still doing a peacekeeping mission and a special operation, not necessarily an actual invasion. And the evidence I have for this is that I read a story today that came out of Ukraine of a woman who is of Russian descent. She's living in the Ukraine. Her mother is living in the Russian Federation, and they've been in constant contact throughout this invasion. And the woman is saying, Mom, the Russians are invading our country. They're killing our people, and they're bombing our cities indiscriminately. And her mother will not believe her. She won't, she won't believe that that's true at all because the Russian media is not covering that at all. And they're saying they're still conducting a special operation to denazify Ukraine, not to bomb its cities and kill its people, which, as we've had plenty of evidence, is really happening. So the Russian propaganda is mainly directed at the Russian people. And it's that this is still a peacekeeping mission and not an actual invasion of the of the Ukraine for whatever reason we still don't have a full blown idea of what Putin's grand master plan is we have a couple idea we we have a couple theories but not necessarily a certified goal in mind for Putin it's uh, and you know maybe Putin doesn't even totally have his goal in mind but uh, i'm just going to throw that out there probably he probably knows exactly what he's doing but just saying i I'm starting to be of the mind that Putin is a little bit unhinged and a little bit crazy, but 
he's got a military force at his disposal and he's probably doing something that he has some grandmaster plan in doing. There are also some reports that Putin may invade Moldova um, because some footage was released from a Belarusian television station which showed a map of the invasion plans and part of that invasion was to have Russian troops go into Moldova. Now, we may have misread those plans. We may have been able, those uh, the arrows on that map may have been misconstrued, but it's possible that that could happen because Russia and Moldova actually have a contested territory on the eastern part of Moldova. Moldova is not a large country, but there's a little bit of contested territory, which is contested between Russia and Moldova, which is interesting because that part is on the Ukrainian Moldovan border. It's not on the Russian Moldovan border. Uh, take, go ahead and take a look at a map to see what I'm talking about. The area that is contested is called Transnistria. You could check that out if you're more interested in that. But anyway, now on to the actual news of the conflict going on in the Ukraine. Now, the conflict has escalated in the south, but has stagnated in the north. In the south, the Russian advance has actually made some significant gains. They've captured two large population centers. One is called Mariupol, which is a port city in eastern Ukraine. So the Russians now control the entire southern half of eastern Ukraine and the entire coast uh, of eastern Ukraine from Crimea to the Russian border. Uh, on the Black Sea, they they control that entire coastline, and on the west part, uh, west of Crimea, there is they've captured the city of Kharkiv, which is a very densely populated city with population of potentially five hundred thousand people, and so. The Russians fiercely fought over that with the Ukrainians. The Ukrainians fought them off for a week, but it turns out the Russians have taken Kharkiv, and that is a blow to the Ukrainian military because that offers a significant staging point for the Russian military to come in from Crimea to prepare for future invasions both west, north, and eastward from Kharkiv. So it's going to be interesting to see how that happens. If the Ukrainian military decides to try to retake the city, it's going to be a vicious fight, but it could happen because we've had a lot of reports of the Russian military being demoralized. So if there's a Ukrainian counterattack, it may be that the Russian soldiers kind of just say, okay, fine, you can have it back. We're not willing to fight for this because we don't want to be here in the first place. Not all Russian soldiers are, are demoralized like that, but there are a significant number. In the north, the battle for Kiev is still ongoing. The Russians have not tried to mount a full-blown attack on the city quite yet, even though there is that 40-mile-long convoy north of Kiev that has stalled and is having trouble moving forward because of logistical issues. There's a lot of mud on the sides of the roads, and these Russian vehicles will get caught and sink into that mud and be completely stuck with any, without any hope of getting out uh, if they are to veer off the road. So there are just hundreds of vehicles parked all over the roads leading into Kiev, and they're having trouble moving forward because there are reports of logistical issues taking place, such as vehicles running out of gas, uh, soldiers running low on food. There have been reports of Russian soldiers looting grocery stores, not for the money, but for the actual food, which could hint that these Russian soldiers are hungry, which hints that they're not being well supplied, and there are supply lines breaking down between the Russian command and the Russian uh, grunts on the ground, which could contribute to more low morale. But while this is going on, it seems that the Russian military has continued to bombard population centers. We've seen a lot of footage coming out of Ukraine and Ukrainian cities that look... I, I was listening to Breaking Points with Crystal and Sagar today, and they said it was reminiscent of the scenes that we saw in Aleppo starting in 2014 and 2015 in Syria, 
where there were just buildings completely bombed out, apartment buildings where entire sections of the building were caved in, streets that had craters in them from recent missiles, there were guns on the ground, smoke covers the sky. It's just, it's, it's a horrific scene coming out of some of the places in Ukraine. And that's because the Russian military has adopted new scorched earth tactics, which mean they are bombing everything in their way before they move in. All this with the intention of demoralizing the Ukrainian people so they are more inclined to surrender, and that's probably how they were able to acquire the city of Kharkiv and the city of Mariupol. So, this campaign will probably continue, and as the Russian, as this huge convoy in northern Ukraine gets closer and closer to the city of Kiev, we're probably going to see a lot more indiscriminate bombardment on the city of Kiev. And again, the battle for Kiev is ongoing. It's not necessarily a ground battle, but the Russians continue to shell the city and bomb the city, hoping to give the Ukrainian people enough cause to say, okay, fine, we give up, let's negotiate. Speaking of negotiations, looks like we had the second day of peace talks between Russia and Ukraine today, and unfortunately, again, it seems that those peace talks were completely fruitless. Um... Now, we're, we don't have exactly exact transcripts of what was talked about in those peace talks, but it looks like the, the two sides returned to their respective capitals to discuss what their next strategies are, which means they're going to have a third day of peace talks. So it looks like Putin says that the Ukrainian settlement is only possible if, if as President Zelensky, the Ukrainian president, recognizes the Russian sovereignty over Crimea, demilitarizes and denazifies the Ukrainian state, and ensures that Ukraine will stay completely neutral and will not ally with the West. Now, if Ukraine were to ally with the East, I'm sure that Putin would be completely fine with that. So he doesn't actually want neutrality of Ukraine. He just wants Ukraine to be a little bit more Eastern-leaning, at least neutral. He doesn't want him to be allied with the West at all. We talked about it a couple episodes ago. And I'm sure that President Zelensky is not going to take extremely kindly to these demands. So we're going to see if we're going to go for, we're, we're going to go in for a third day of peace talks, maybe a fourth, maybe a fifth. I don't know how long these peace talks are going to take, but it's going to be a while. So that's what we're looking at on that front. Now, our biggest story of the day came out last night. And last night, a lot of people got an alert on their phones. If you get news updates on your phones, I know I got one that, the Russians and the Ukrainians were fighting actively over one of the largest nuclear reactors on the European continent. This is completely true. This was happening last night and throughout this morning, throughout today, that this reactor was being fought over actively. Russian artillery had fired on the reactor. Parts of the reactor were on fire at points, and there was fierce fighting going on as firefighters tried to go in during the fighting to fight off the Russian invaders. Now, a lot of people freaked out and a lot of news agencies pounced on this and they said, yes, this could be a nuclear meltdown of epic proportions, worse than Chernobyl. But uh, a lot of news agencies neglected to report that this, that the fires that broke out were not on a crucial part of the reactor. Parts of the reactor were able to be shut down before the fire reached them. And so there is no, there's very minimal risk of melting down. The, Boots on the ground reported that there were no level, no heightened levels of radiation anywhere around the facility and the, all of the radiation within the facility was completely contained to within the facility and there are no huge developments in terms of an actual nuclear meltdown happening on the European, uh, on European soil right now. So we don't have to worry too much about that. 
But as far as I know, there is still fighting ongoing around that area. It's possible. There were a lot of people that came out. Uh, President Zelensky made a made a call for it, and several other prominent Ukrainians and even Russian amb not Russian ambassadors, but Russian oligarchs and Russian celebrities and celebrities from all over the rest of the globe, the Western globe, uh, the Western part of the globe, rather. They were calling for this fighting to cease specifically in this area so we didn't have a nuclear meltdown and, you know, millions of people were suffered from radiation burns. So don't worry too much about that if you've heard that in the news. Uh, it seems that people are behaving somewhat rational rationally. So, okay. Last thing I want to talk about is that Putin's government is starting to have some issues. By that, I mean... Looks like a lot of people in Moscow, a lot of government officials are starting to turn against Putin and say, hey, why are we doing this? This is ridiculous. Our soldiers are dying. Our people are suffering economically. And there's really no reason for us to be here. Our soldiers don't want to be there. And they're dying for a cause that they don't believe in. Let's get out of there. Not everyone, but it looks like about 40%, according to recent polls of Russians, don't want this war to be going on. And that's a lot of people. 40% is a significant portion. And probably there are more because a lot of Russians may be afraid to answer that they want the war to be over and they want the Russians to pull out because they're afraid that they may, you know, be under investigation from the Kremlin at that point because Putin has shown that he is very authoritarian. There are still protests ongoing inside Moscow. Now, other interesting things are that Russian oligarchs are starting to turn against Putin. Oligarchs are people who essentially own large amounts of stocks in uh, Russian businesses. And so they are extremely wealthy. They have a lot of assets all over the globe and they have influence over what happens in Russian government. And some of these have started to turn against Putin and outright say that they don't want anything to do with this war and they want Russia to be out of Ukraine. One very wealthy man that grew up in Russia. He's not been to Russia back since 1990. He, he's not been back to Russia since, since 1990, but he actually live tweeted that he is putting a million dollar bounty. I think maybe a $10 million bounty. I think just million, but I'm not sure. A million dollar bounty on Vladimir Putin's head, dead or alive. So if someone were to go and assassinate or capture Putin and bring him to this man, he would, give, he would immediately give them a million dollars. These are interesting times we're living in because we have not seen a conventional war like this on, on the European continent since World War II. And so to see these kind of things happening is extremely fascinating. So I don't have a lot of time for updates right now. Those are the main updates that I wanted to talk about. That's your update for today. I'm about to go to a concert and I'm really excited about that. But please uh, give this podcast a five-star five rating if you're enjoying it. Let your friends know so we can keep people updated and I will hopefully talk to you guys tomorrow. Catch you later.